For every successful creator project, there's an equal and opposite one that didn't happen. A sort of parallel universe of possibility that only its creator will ever know about, until now. And I'll be your guide as we speak with artists and innovators about the forking paths and roads less traveled that led to their creative breakthroughs. It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. It's The Bleed, conversations with creative entrepreneurs on the cutting edge. I'm your host, Daedalus Howell, and today I'm talking with Lincoln Jones of Los Angeles's American Contemporary Ballet. What's great about Lincoln is that he got to ballet rather late in life. In fact, he didn't even start till his 20s, which is, as his publicist says, catastrophically late. <laughs> so, of course, I love that line. Lincoln gets into ballet and soon realizes that if the form is going to sustain itself, and keep evolving, he's going to have to dismantle it, which is precisely what he did. And we're going to learn how he did that on The Bleed. So Lincoln, dance. When did this all start for you? How does one find a creative life and a professional life involving dance, especially these days? It seems like the fine arts are always in danger, and yet you've started your own company and you've made a success of it. Well, I started pretty late, actually. I didn't dance until I was about 19 or 20. And I started taking ballet in college. You could take it as an elective. And I thought that sounded <laughs> pretty interesting. That's crazy. So you weren't like one of these dance kids early on? Not at all. What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> as a kid? Well, you must have been like an artistic kid, right? Yeah, I, I did theater, mostly like acting and singing and stuff in high school and as a hobby. But nothing with dance, really. Oh, interesting. So it's an elective in college. Had you ever danced before? Seems like kind of a bold choice. <laughs> yeah. No, I was like a really uncoordinated kid. So I don't know if I and I also had a really short attention span. So I don't know if I would have lasted in a dance class when I was younger. I was kind of looking for the easiest route through college. And <laughs> that seemed like <laughs> one of the ways to go. And also, I don't know, I just thought it was really fascinating. I thought it would just seem so strange that I could take a ballet class. My major at the time was theater, and I was doing some musical theater. And then one of my teachers said, if you want to do theater seriously, you do have to learn to dance. So you should up that. The amount of ballet I was taking, they said, get in ballet five times a day over the summer. So I found this horse, and I was in a class with like seven-year-olds. And <laughs> so, But I did it, and I took it seriously, and, and then I started dancing professionally. That soon after. I mean, did you have to catch up? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't that soon after. It wasn't like after that summer I started dancing professionally. It took me like four years, but it was a huge catch-up thing. I mean, I felt like an idiot in a class with very young kids, but I moved along out of that pretty soon. And that was one of the hardest things is that ballet is built pretty much on muscle memory. Like every different part of your body has to be doing something very specific. And usually it's the thing that it doesn't do naturally. So you have to build that over time so that, you know, when you get on stage, you can just dance. And for me, I was always thinking because... It was all new. That's extraordinary. Well, in the motion picture version of your life, can't wait for that scene with the seven-year-olds. It's <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that goes in the trailer, obviously. That's great. Right. I was literally twice as tall as everybody in the room. <laughs> but as an expressive form, did you find that ballet said what you needed to say as an artist? Yeah. So when I was in high school, instead of doing homework, I would just sit and 
sort of daydream to music. And I was usually picturing like movie scenes or theatrical scenes or things like that as I listened to music. And dance music in some of those cases really interested me. And I would imagine that stuff, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about choreography. But when I got into it, it sort of finally gave me the tool to give me a craft in which I could express some of those ideas more fully. Obviously, you're a choreographer as well. Did you know that you'd be a choreographer or did you think you'd just be a dancer? It sounds like you already were envisioning how things might unfold. Yeah. From the very beginning, I took an interest in choreography and it was more like not that I thought I was a dancer and would I be a choreographer. It was more like I was trying to convince myself I could be a dancer even though I was kind of more creatively oriented than athletically oriented and convincing myself that I could kind of get through all this material in a much shorter time than everybody else had. And, you know, I did dance professionally, but I think I got to the point where I realized I'm not going to achieve the kinds of things I want to achieve as a dancer. And really, my mind was always going towards the creative side of it. So you're like, let's make other dancers do this, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, where I can really give life to the ideas for sure. So let's back up a little bit. So you got a scholarship to the Joffrey. That's some high-end dance tutoring, you know, (laughs) like like you're going from zero to 60 in a rather short amount of time. Did you ever have, I guess what they call imposter syndrome or any anxiety about that kind of stuff? You know, I think I was too stupid to (laughs) imposter syndrome. I have that now, but no, at the time, I think I was just kind of amazed that this was happening as I would get scholarships to places and and I was studying dance and I was partnering dancers that were way more accomplished. Either that or it was just kind of a tunnel vision that I gave myself in order to not be wholly embarrassed about what I was missing. But to me, it just seemed like this crazy new world I was part of, and I couldn't believe it was happening. Yeah. Now, we're talking about this as if you're coming from a like a deficit because you came to it so late, but obviously you've got tons of talent. I mean, because you were scoring these scholarships and you're being invited to dance places and you're working. Did you know you had this talent or is it all craft? I mean, how did you tap into that? With ballet, so many things have to go right for a ballet dancer. Genetically, there's just like certain things your body has to do. Uh, Your feet have to do, your flexibility has to be there. I guess I had enough of those things uh, roughly. Tall men are highly in demand in ballet because just not as many boys go into ballet as girls do. So I'd go to these summer programs like the Joffrey or things like that. And there would sometimes be of my age or the advanced levels, like 10 guys and hundreds of girls. So I think I had a feel for it. I think that I developed an ability to do it mostly through really taking an intellectual approach to it and building that into my body. Maybe I had some natural feel for it. And I liked music. Also, I was good at partnering which is really in demand, you know, because good female dancers need good male dancers to make them look good. Right. So you found a niche, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. No, that's really fascinating to me. And and I love that concept of intellectualizing dance. And I mean, which is an inherently intellectual activity anyway, I would imagine to some degree, but then baking that into your body, like finding a way to take what you're learning and what you, you aspire to. Earlier, we were talking and it seemed like you weren't an athletic guy, but you have to be, I would imagine, as a as a dancer now. How did you train yourself and how did you get the intellectual stuff to become physical? Well, when I was in high school, like I played sports, I played water polo and a couple of things, but I felt like most people were automatically better at sports than I was. But the advantage in ballet is that it's like a 600, 500 year old art form that has a, a technique for everything. And so it wasn't just like give the ball to the kid that 
handles it the best and there's that natural and there, there are people that are athletic learners you can like show them something they can watch it and just do it but ballet has all this literature built up so i was able to take one thing at a time and really understand it and work with it and i think that through that i found i became a much better athlete and then suddenly i was able to play sports at a much higher level than i had been I'm also just kind of a late bloomer at everything. So I think maybe the coordination came a little bit later for me. But ultimately, I think it was that intellectualization of everything that helped gave me kind of a head start as a choreographer, because for dancers that can just automatically sort of do everything, they sometimes have a hard time translating that to people that are struggling because it was easy for them. And for me, it was a struggle. So in teaching other dancers, I really can sometimes understand what they're dealing with. And the learning process is, is a recent memory for you. <laughs> you <know>? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and so how do we go from South Carolina to New York City? That's like the big move that everyone makes, right? <laughs> like, Well, actually, I grew up in L.A. And then my first ballet job, my first like full-time company job was in a company in South Carolina. But I grew up in a pretty big city. And after that, I just needed to get to the nearest big city. So I went to New York. And at that point, I think I had sort of decided, like, I really want to pursue the creative side of this. And uh, I still danced a little bit. I danced at the Met and through, in, in a few things in New York. But at that point, I was really wanting to just be in the place where the most was happening, where I could learn the most and, and do the most. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. I mean, that's and you're at that point, you're what in your mid 20s or something like that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what a great time in life to be in New York City. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about your creative process, creating a dance when you're in the midst of choreography. Where do you start? Well, I start with the music. There was this guy, George Balanchine, that was kind of the guiding light for me as a choreographer. It's just interesting. If you look at music in the 20th century, you could pick a couple of greats who is the absolute greatest. But in ballet, that's kind of an easy thing, at least if you're looking at who contributed the most innovations, the biggest repertory of the greatest quality that's growing now more than ever was this guy, George Balanchine, and he could just do things that no one else could do. So that was the other thing is that one of the things that set him apart was he was educated as a classical musician at the same time that he was educated as a dancer. And this is pretty rare in dance. But when I looked at that, I thought, well, that's absolutely necessary. When you're dealing with this music, you've got to know it inside out. So that was the other big big challenge is that around my mid-20s, I thought I've got to start studying music. I've got to become a really serious musician. And so for me, sometimes I'll have a concept. If I'm going to commission an original score from a composer, then I might start with a concept and send them a libretto or something. But otherwise, I'll hear a piece of music and think that can make something really interesting and go from there. I'll never forget. I saw this uh, documentary on John Cage and Merce Cunningham, and they were collaborating. But in this case, neither was going to see what the other was doing. Right, exactly. <laughs> and Cage, for whatever reason, decided to record some kind of monologue and then remove all of the vowel sounds electronically. And uh -huh. what resulted was just a bunch of consonants, like a bunch of you know, kind of sounds. And that was the score. And Cunningham gets it. You can just see his eyes kind of roll. <laughs> it's just sort of like, it's like what, am I, what am I doing with this? And of course, Cage's score was interesting, I guess, but Cunningham's work was profound. And I realized it didn't need to be dependent on the music, but it sure helps, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think you get a very different product that way. That's kind of the opposite approach of Balanchine, where Balanchine would create these things that it looked like it's hard to believe that the music wasn't written for what he's doing, like that he didn't work with the the composer from the get go. The fact that he was able to like take Bach or Tchaikovsky or something 
and just create something that seemed so utterly seamless. The person that I would actually compare Balanchine to the most is Astaire, who I think is the other greatest choreographer of the 20th century. When you say Astaire, you mean Fred Astaire? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Because, of course, I'm thinking ballet, but let's talk about Fred Astaire. Yeah. So clearly, obviously, Astaire wasn't doing ballet, but I would put him right with, in terms of the greatest choreographers, I'd put him right with Balanchine. And Astaire was his favorite dancer, even though never danced for him, not being a ballet dancer. Astaire was an incredible musician, a very, very accomplished jazz drummer, a pianist as well. And if you look at his dances, it has that same hallmark of just seeming like it's a perfect expression of the musical score. It's uh, just seamless kind of flowing through his body. What's that line about Ginger Rogers? She did everything Fred Astaire did, but backwards and in heels. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that's true to a certain extent. Also, she was a fantastic dancer. We've done an entire show dedicated to her and Astaire. But the thing about Astaire, one of the things that was so good about him is that he was able to make his partners look so good and adapt himself to their styles. So if you watch him dancing with Ginger Rogers versus dancing with, say, Rita Hayworth, Rita Hayworth had danced since she was a kid, but in Spanish dance primarily, whereas Ginger Rogers was kind of this like brash hoofer. And (laughs) it's a totally different thing, but Astaire melds seamlessly with both. And if you see Hayworth dancing in those films, not with Astaire, it totally changes. He wasn't responsible for those dances. And uh, you can see there's a big, big difference. So in 2011, you and Teresa Farrell uh, decide to found uh, the American Contemporary Ballet in Los Angeles. So you've come home and you amount a very ambitious project and definitively changed the dance landscape of Los Angeles by creating the American Contemporary Ballet. Where'd you get the guts to do that? Well, again, I kind of chalk it up to stupidity a little bit. I actually started the company in New York and I was talking to this guy and I just had this feeling that the kind of ballet I wanted to do, I wasn't seeing around. And so I thought, like, I can't entrust this to me just going and choreographing at other companies. I need to make this certain kind of dance and I need to make it a lot. Well, let's pause there. So what differentiated the work that you were doing and wanted to do more of versus what was already happening in the scene? I would say that there was a lot of attempt to do something new. It seemed like a lot of what was happening was like a conscious attempt at a kind of contemporariness or modernism, which would every choreographer had to have their own vocabulary. And it seemed like this is what seemed to me companies thought was contemporary. And what I thought would be the next thing is like reinventing the language. But in my view, a poet doesn't reinvent the language. They just use it spectacularly. So Balanchine did, he was firmly a classicist. He Everything he did was classical, but he expanded the classical vocabulary. And the things that he did still look like they were made in the future. They look way further ahead than anything that is even being done today, to my eye. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was work in that genre and work from that classical base but to do it in a way that was highly based on the music. And I wanted to develop dancers in a certain way. And, you know, I kind of fell backwards into the thing that I needed to do, because what I learned over the course of my career is that going and choreographing at a company is interesting, but you really like half the job of a choreographer, or I think of a, of a company director is developing the dancers to do the repertory they're going to do. You're like literally creating the instruments for the ballet to to be played on. And that goes into who you pick. It goes into how you train them, where you focus their training. And so I realized I never could have really achieved the things that I wanted to achieve had I been using someone else's instrument. 
And so the, it becomes like this cohesive, organically developed, completely integrated phenomena unto itself. The company is a thing. The company and the work are really one at that point. Exactly. And for me, I started to use the company, even the marketing of the company and the company over time became itself an expression of an idea, the kinds of programs that we would do, the way that we would relate to the audience, the way that we would advertise the ballets all became as almost as much of an expression, if not as much of an expression as the steps. That's great. I love the comprehensiveness of that. I mean, the branding, everything is the brand and everything is the art and it's well expressed. That's really great. Well, Lincoln, I, I've had a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks for taking the time. And, and Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Any advice for aspiring creatives out there, especially those who have broken out and done their own thing like you have? Yeah, for me, I think it started with just one day I decided I'm going to make a ballet every day or a variation every day. And I think that's the most important thing is craft plays into it a huge amount. And so you just got to keep working. To learn more about Lincoln Jones and the American Contemporary Ballet, visit acbdances.com. That's acbdances.com. In the meantime, you can find me dancing like a fool at dhowell.com. And while you're checking out websites, drop by storygram.com to find other shows that you might just fall in love with. The way I fall in love with Transistor.fm that makes all this possible through their generous hosting. Thank you, everyone. And now I shall take a bow.